Hello everybody and kia ora. Welcome to the um, Austroads webinar. In today's session we will talk about the new um, Austroads Extended Vehicle Classification Scheme. We have more than 500 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Austroads and I will be moderating today's session together with Amy Knowles, um, Austroads Transport Network Operations Program Manager. Amy is one of our presenters today and uh, she will also moderate your questions at the end of the webinar. I would like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Austroads is based in Sydney and today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to Eldest past, present and emerging and to their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A bit about Austroads, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies and our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. This project uh, that we're focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Network Operations Programme, which is managed by Amy Knowles. A little bit of housekeeping, our presenters will speak for about 40 minutes and then we will have um, a Q&A session for about 15 minutes. The slides, the project background report and the new classification scheme can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on that sidebar. If your question relates to any particular slide, include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Also, let us know if you are uh, having any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing the browser and rejoining the session uh, using your email registration link usually helps. This session has been recorded and we will send you the link to the recording um, once it's published on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find Austroads in your podcast app. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today. Uh, so we will first hear from Amy Knowles, who I just introduced earlier. Amy will say a few words about the project team. Our next presenter is Drew Gaynor, our principal consultant at Level 5 Design. Drew will provide a detailed overview of the new um, scheme. And our third presenter is David Johnston, a consulting engineer from Intelligent Transport Services. David will talk about um, heavy vehicle classes 3 to 12 and class 19. Amy will conclude the presentation and we will have some time for your questions. All right, uh, welcome to all our presenters and over to you, Amy. Thank you, Katerina. It's good to be here today to talk about our Austroads new vehicle classification scheme, which is Austroads 23, and today specifically how that scheme will affect how we measure heavy vehicles on Australasian road networks. We'll be hearing from our consultants Drew Gaynor from Level 5 Design today and Dave Johnston from Intelligent Transport Services and I'd like to thank Drew and Dave for all their work on this important project. And I'd also like to uh, thank and call out the Project Control Group and the Network Task Force um, first up because uh, the Project Control Group has put in a, a sterling effort on this project over the last couple of years and I do know there are more people who have contributed than we were able to name today so I'd like to thank them all. The project control group um, might also be on a call and I'd like to highlight that many of our members uh, do put in a lot of time and commitment to these projects in addition to their day-to-day -day responsibilities so we are very grateful. Now I'm going to pass over to Drew Gaynor who's going to be first because he's going to present on the background for the scheme and the methodology that the project team used. So over to you Drew. Thank you Amy and good morning everyone and good afternoon in other, other jurisdictions. Uh, I'm going to be presenting today the overview of the of the scheme and the the process that we went through to arrive at this scheme as it is, and Dave Johnson will then um, more detail about the heavy vehicle classifications. So, the new Osroads vehicle classification scheme. So we're going to talk about what it is, why change from Osroads '94, what does a new scheme mean in measuring and reporting heavy vehicles. Next slide, please. 
Okay, a little bit of history about the about the Osroads Vehicle Classification Scheme. Uh, 1994 scheme was a 12-bin classification. There was a 2006 update to include vehicle length, and then we're at the 2023 update and the level four classes, more granularity, alternative technology was looked at in, in those pathways, including active transport was included, et cetera. So the current rate of change of the fleet being classified and emerging technology will require more frequent updates going forward. Find a balance between frequency of update and keep current and with needs not having data collection storage reporting systems in a continual state of flux. The project recommended pathways to do this to reduce the effort required to do the next review. And I just draw attention on the right to the to the the 2023 vehicle classification scheme in a very, very small snapshot. And you'll notice down the bottom class 19 and 20. We'll keep that up there as we go through just for reference. Next slide, please. <clears throat> so why was the scheme updated? Well, road agencies and industry reported that the 94 scheme, while still relevant, required updating to be fit for purpose. Osro's 94 was developed primarily to provide information on vehicle movements particularly for HVs, for road asset management primarily. However, road network operations and performance across a range of categories are becoming increasingly important as road agencies become road managers. Just continuing with that theme, road managers reported becoming increasingly difficult to differentiate between some vehicle types and surveys. The 94 scheme was no longer representative of the fleets that were operating on uh, the roads in Australia and New Zealand. Some vehicle types are not accurately classified in Osro's 94. An example of that is Ford Rangers. Dave will talk in more detail about that a bit later. While the 94 scheme is still widely used, additional jurisdiction or narrow function specific classification schemes have been adopted to meet policy requirements. Effectively, what we're talking about here is the workarounds that have been adopted, and we're hoping that this scheme can eliminate a number of those workarounds to make it more efficient. Providers of road-based survey tools have, have indicated that the 94 scheme constrains them from exploiting innovations in detection technology. That was an important part of this, of this review, and we provide some information about that. Next slide, please. Okay, so the task was to review the 94 classification schemes, and we needed to retain its relevant parts. It's not throwing it all out. The 94 scheme is still robust, it just needs to be updated. Identify other relevant existing or emerging vehicle classification schemes. We did an extensive review, uh, particularly internationally, and looked at those to see what could be included in the new scheme. Determine priority vehicle and active transport attributes for inclusion. Uh, consider new technology developments. Develop a hybrid scheme encompassing current and potential new classes and the subclasses we refer to. Provide a degree of flexibility and scalability to accommodate unforeseen challenges in what is a rapidly evolving and changing road network environment. Next slide, please. So what are some of the key changes? Providing greater granularity for each of the existing 12 classes, particularly in classes 10, 11, and 12, through the, review, through the provision of a new level four subclass. Defining the measurements used to distinguish between these classes. Reviewing level three length boundaries was important, ensuring that the more granular classifications of the proposed scheme in level four map directly to the existing level three classifications. And that's quite important for the next point about to provide forward and backward compatibility for existing data collections and future data collections. And Dave also uh, goes into more detail about that later. Next slide, please. Okay, so the key changes were that we provided an additional class uh, for non-road travellers, that's class 20, and we provided a new class for unmatched vehicles that cannot be matched into any existing classes, that's class 19. That's discussed further later. <clears throat> so here's the, here's the uh, a snapshot about how we went through what was a very exhaustive and extensive process to arrive to where we are today. So we had the stakeholder consultation and the scheme scan I mentioned earlier. We then did our SWOT analysis 
analysis of options, options development, developed a draft extended vehicle scheme. We went through a validation process, then the final scheme for implementation where we're at today. Next slide, please. So let's just talk a little bit about the consultation. Well, we, we either interviewed or surveyed 41 entities through those various um, uh, subclasses or the road agencies, local governments, owners and users of existing or planned classification schemes. Uh, we expanded that, that consultation from the initial as we discovered that we wanted to explore a bit more with further, further entities. So it was very extensive and we had, good we had a good response rate. Next slide, please. So what were, what were some of the strengths and weaknesses identified in the feedback? So the strengths are the existing scheme, uh, the 1994 scheme, I should say, the axle groupings provide a level of immunity to undesired outcomes due to fluctuations in exact axle space inside groups. Data gathering can be done independent of classification. And then the 1994 scheme had been a sound foundation to support the following tasks, asset management, pavement management, intersection design guidelines and bridge design role, design guidelines in the context of uh, road asset management. Next slide, please. So some of the weaknesses that were, were uh, that came out of the feedback. Needs better granularity and differentiation for the higher and middle classes of HVs. SBVs are not accurately classified. Requires more granularity for class one to differentiate between bicycles, motorcycles and pedestrians and the like. Does not include mobility vehicles. The boundaries between classes need to be re-examined because changes in fleet are causing boundary uncertainty and miscalculation. That was a very important point that came out. Next slide, please. Further weaknesses that were identified, new technologies required that can collect additional vehicle attributes, the level of classification granularity possible with the additional data may not be the same as available in the existing, available using the axle-based data, I should say. There is no catch-all class for vehicles, that's the class 19. Does not easily map to the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator Performance-Based Scheme. I'll just talk a bit more about that in the next slide. So, NHVR does not specifically use the Osroads Vehicle Classification Scheme. It uses a slightly different one with a number of PBS categories in it. The 1994 scheme had none of these. So we needed to include that those PBS categories into the new scheme, which we've done. Next slide, please. <coughs> so some of the challenges in project delivery. Well, there were three key points that we wanted to quickly discuss today. There was a verification workshop with road agencies, followed by an impacts workshop. And then we went through the, the more data, the, uh, another stream of data verification and validation. Next slide. So first, the workshop. So the objective of the workshop was to verify the options identified. Uh, the workshop addressed five key things, features to be retained, granularity or boundaries, improved coverage, classification viral alternate measures and transition issues. Next slide, please. We went into the impacts workshop a little later with road agencies and the four assessment criteria to determine what those impacts would be were effort to adopt, transition approach, timing and costs. Next slide, please. So arising from that, as we we're moving through our journey, it became apparent that we needed to do a little more analysis validating some of the class thresholds. And Dave will talk more about these a bit later, but I'll just quickly outline them for you and what we did. Acknowledgement for Transmetric, who we teamed with to, uh, to go through this. We got the data from uh, four jurisdictions, uh, which we're very appreciative of uh, to go through this. So there was a validation of classes one <coughs> and three boundary to 3.25, validation 2.1 to 2.5 axle groups, determine specific values of axle separations, Determine if other technologies will be required for accurate classification. That was for light vehicles. Determine whether there is a single axle group spacing criteria for class three and four, the two axle ridge or the three axle ridge, rigid, sorry. Um, 
determine if axle spacings can be used or if alternative technology will be required for some class five. It's quite challenging. Determining if axle spacings can be used or if alternative technology will be required for class six. Determine the best place to place the threshold for class 10. Use LIDAR, use of LIDAR for class 20. And determine if number plate recognition technology can be used for future vehicle classification. And before we move on to the next slide, special thanks to Main Roads who did uh, after that, we got back from the information on transmetering and we provided that. Main Roads did additional analysis through uh, further data provision and uh, that was proved very valuable to have an exhaustive process on that. Next slide, please. Uh, options development. So the relevant for this particular uh, webinar for heavy vehicles was the provision of a class run unmatched vehicles, class 19. Dave will talk more about that a bit later and that's all about um, a, a bin for things that are not readily captured in a particular class, but it's not a a too hard basket where we just continually keep putting things in and Dave will discuss that further later. Potential to use alternative measures and sensors, the need for increased granularity for classes three to five, six to nine and 10 to 12, easy transition in the new scheme. And as we said before, that backward compatibility with 1994 schemes data. So we can use pre-2023 scheme and then moving forward and it can be aggregated. Next slide, please. Okay, so we're just going to quickly go through this, but I'll just highlight uh, what the new scheme is in the levels. So level one, still there. We didn't want to change this scheme completely. We wanted to keep it as current as possible. Level level three, 12-bin classification was retained, but we used the granularity of class uh, of level four. So that's the next slide, just to highlight that. And that's where level four comes in. And you'll see that as we move through quickly through the scheme, if you've not already seen it, and how that granularity really plays out with the heavy vehicles. Next slide, please. So let's just quickly go through this. We're not going to go in detail, but you can see the, the granularity in class one, in class two. Uh, next slide. We move into HVs at class three. And then we've got uh, greater granularity all the way through. It gets more and more granular as we move through. As you can see, it keeps going all the way up to the big ones at the end. And then there is there is unmatched uh, vehicles. Class 19 is in there and behind. Nothing in there at the moment, obviously. And then we've got class 24 active transport, which was an important component. Okay. I think that's it for me. Thank you very much. That, I hope that gives you a snapshot of what we were doing. We encourage you to look at the research report. I'll hand over now to Dave to go through the heavy vehicles. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Has that come through okay on the screen? Yep. All good. Thanks. All good. Thank you. Um, thanks, Drew, and uh, I'll just go through a bit more of the technical details of um, parts of the scheme here. So firstly, the backward compatibility issue. Now, the way the scheme's been implemented is, uh, if you look at the example here for Class 12, what we have is Class 12 has now been broken up to uh, Level 4 classes at the, the lower level where the class number becomes n times 100. So we've got classes 1200, 1201, 1202, etc., for the individual granular vehicles below that. And the beauty of this approach means that the sum of all of those lower level classes uh, is stays exactly the same. So class 12 count is equal to the sum of class 1200 to 1210. But also, when you look at it from at a level one perspective, that means that the level one, which is the um, classification by length, which was done in 2006 as well, is retained also. There's, there's one or two minor exceptions to that, which I'll cover um, later on, uh, on subsequent slides. The beauty of this approach is you'll see in particular the class 1200 in this case, and this applies to all of the classes, 1200, 1100, 1900, et cetera, 
is that you can actually store the historical data from a 1994 count into class 1200 and then it still sums up to class 12. So a system that operates at that level is able to continue and be backward compatible. compatible. So it allows us to have a scheme, a database that stores the information historically, but also supports the new data going forward as we're able to get counts at the more granular level. So in effect, it allows us to support the best technology and not be limited by the worst technology. So we'll go into the, the exercise of validating that scheme and then talk a little bit more about uh, some of the implications on the implementation a bit later. So a number of validation exercises needed to be done. And the first was to look at the length boundary for cl between classes one and three to be changed from uh, 3.2 metres to a 3.25 metres. And we've got a, a slide specifically on that. The axle group definition, uh, needed to be considered as well and we, a recommended change from 2.1 to 2.5 was made. Looking at criteria to distinguish bicycles and motorcycles, that'll be covered in a bit more date, in detail in uh, the other webinars. Criteria to distinguish sedans, wagons, SUVs, etc. that will be covered in more detail in the light vehicle. But in the, the heavy vehicle, we had some uh, need to consider the distinction of various pairs of level four classes in uh, level in class three, four, five, and nine, and we'll we'll look at those in a bit more detail in subsequent classes, and then the criteria to distinguish non-road travellers inside class twenty that will be covered in the active transport webinar in a bit more detail. So to have a look at task number one, then the uh, sort of um, a key example that uh, brought this one to uh, to our attention from the consultation was the Ford Rangers. And the orange line on the graph shows you the evolution of the wheelbase length between front and rear wheels over time since 1995 when it was introduced. And historically, the boundary between class one light vehicle and class three, uh, sorry, class one short vehicle and class three light truck was historically set at 2.2. .2. But what we had in 2012 was the uh, wheelbase became 32.20 millimetres, 3.22. And this resulted, particularly with some of the accuracy of um, measurement being about a 0.1 resolution, some Fort Rangers started to appear in class three, uh, light truck as opposed to short vehicle. So part of the recommendation in the course of this uh, was to recommend a shift of that boundary from 3.2 to 3.25. However, the 2022 Ford Ranger has now got a wheelbase of 3.270 millimetres, so 3.27 metres. So um, there's a question there whether we need to actually go to 3.3 metres, and that's been something which will just be referred to the uh, a proof of concept phase that we're um, looking at, so that we can consider that across the whole um, the whole installed base and have everybody in the, involved in that discussion. The other issue that arose uh, as well in terms of errors in the existing system is that the classification, uh, the definition of groups, axle groups being axles closer than 2.1 metres was starting, was failing at the higher end in classes 9 through to 12 where we had groups with axles up to 2.5 metres apart. And because the definition was 2.1, those groups were being determined as individual axles, which then uh, caused errors in the classification of those heavy vehicles. So there was a consideration in how to actually change that rule. And we found that um, with, uh, with the help from the team that a, a global definition of 2.5 was inappropriate. So the rule basically has become that if two adjacent axles are less than 2.1 metres apart, then you continue to use 2.1 for the following axle group definition. Otherwise, the spacing is set to 2.5. And this is only changed in classes nine through to 12. And that was validated using an extensive set of, of data from uh, various jurisdictions. When we look at the tasks uh, mentioned before about the, um, the, some of the classes, the differentiation needs more than axle uh, based technology and we'll just concentrate in this uh, 
um, session on the class three, four, five, and nine listed at the bottom of this table, where, for example, we've got the same axle configuration there for classes 301 and 302, single axle front back, 401, 402, dual axle at the back, 504 and uh, and 505, with the uh, two, then three, and then 901, 902. And the question there was, can we distinguish between those at the level four purely by the spacing between those axles or axle groups? And the answer to that question ended up being no, because the distribution of vehicles that we want to put in, for example, class 301, overlapped significantly with the distribution of axle lengths, um, axle spacings that would for vehicles that would go in class 302, which meant that wherever you drew the line, you would have an error uh, significantly one way or the other. So the conclusion for each of these, using that as, as the example, was that non-axle based technology is going to be needed to distinguish these level four classes. Now in the meantime, a counting system that only uses axle based technology can store those counts in class 300 and put nulls in these. But where you can use a technology that allows you to distinguish these, then you can put a null now, a non-null count in, in the 301, 302 classes. We'll, we'll cover that from a different angle a bit more shortly. We mentioned, uh, or Drew mentioned a couple of times, this class 19 to capture anything that does not fit into any other class. Um, now, historically, what happened when a vehicle wouldn't fit into any other class, it would either randomly land in a class or be um, effectively shoved into a particular class as a placeholder, giving it somewhere to park it. This, uh, the emergence of a class 19 in the system allows us to collect those for further inspection and, and analysis to allow the scheme to evolve. But the danger here is that we end up with a creep of vehicles appearing in this class that don't land anywhere else. And one of the recommendations of the, of the project was to address that danger. As a standard data structure should be developed uh, similar to that shown at the right, which is able to collect all of the measurements that are collected from whatever the technology used to in a single data structure. And you can see how this would be beneficial in class 19, because it would allow us in a subsequent review to come back, examine all the vehicles that, that are landing in that class and determine what is necessary to create or modify the scheme to better address vehicles that are frequently landing in there that we need to uh, be classified elsewhere. So there'll be a little bit more on that um, that's recommendation a little bit later as well. But it, it's something that we see as, as greatly beneficial to the scheme and for other purposes as well. So they're the major sort of things that we considered in the validation phase. And our proposed next steps uh, are as follows. So firstly, for the road agencies and road managers, and the timing of these will be depended by each jurisdiction independently. There's a recommendation that there's nothing stopping, um, resource considerations aside, uh, a minimum viable product for the new scheme being implemented today, and there will be no, no loss of capability uh, moving forward because the historical data can be stored. Then that allows a transition to future data man management or partly implementing the scheme by storing and reporting the classification data as it comes through with level four classification from the uh, service providers and from um, road agencies own infrastructure. There's also a recommendation there for ongoing development trials of the alternate technologies for classification and per object data capture, including video plus AI, LIDAR plus AI. That's particularly relevant for the class 20 active transport. If you're particularly interested in that, I recommend you um, look at the 9th of November Active Transport uh, Scheme uh, webinar. The next steps for Austroads is to work with the jurisdictions to undertake a proof of concept project, which is underway. And basically that's to get uh, jurisdictions and industry together to just collaborate and create that extensible per object data storage standard to assist with that future-proofing exercise and also addressing the ability to do other queries on the data set for other things that are of interest that couldn't be included in the current update of the scheme. Uh, 
Also to validate the scheme on a larger scale with a much larger data set. We had a number of jurisdictions help us with data sets to validate the existing proposed boundaries and thresholds, but it's it's a wise move to, to broaden that across to make sure that no, nothing's been missed in that and make sure there's full agreement on, on those exact boundaries in some of these instances. And then also to investigate the potential for an ANPR-based uh, classification scheme. I'll cover that in more detail on the next slide. So if I return to the minimum viable product question uh, for the road agencies and road managers, we'll illustrate here how that transition for the new scheme that can occur. So you'll see at the top left there, we've got a historical data count being stored in 1994, 12 bin format. And let's say we've got an example with class seven that has 142 vehicles in it for a particular time period. Well, under the new scheme, where we go inside transition step one there, we've got the historical data, that 142 vehicles can immediately just be stored in class 700. And in the reporting, in the green at the right, the class seven count is the sum of all of those counts. And because there's nulls in class 701 to 705, this is just using an atypical or a typical example, you end up with the same result as, a, as data stored in the 1994 scheme that's reporting on that. So there is no actual loss, no change in capability, no change to your current procedures. Now, one thing to note here is we make a distinction in when we're storing counts in the new scheme a distinction between the value null and the value zero. And a null means the technology that was used for this count was not able to measure this class. So in, in the case of those class 301, 302, where the axle, um, axle spacing doesn't uniquely define which of the classes it is, you would store a null in those counts because the axle only technology can't distinguish it. But if you can distinguish it and measure it, you may on occasion store a zero in there, which means we can measure these, but we found none of them. So it's an important distinction that needs to be carried forward in the, in the concept of the system, because it makes that, um, that important distinction for the analysis and reflects on the technology used. So this effectively shows a minimum viable product implementation for the 2023 scheme, which basically is a reasonably small step uh, in the whole picture of things to move from the current systems that are storing this data to the new. But once implemented, it also allows, if you've got the original raw data from those counts, it allows that data to be reprocessed and potentially that 142 vehicles in class 700 to be reallocated across the classes where the data that you've got collected, the raw data, permits it. So this again illustrates the ability to, that's in the 1994 scheme, to reprocess historical data um, with tweaks to the, to the system. So in this case, we're showing an example where class 700 leaves 60 vehicles in there. We've got 42 for 701. We've got zero vehicles identified for 702. 703 says null because we were unable to measure, 704, 705. And in the reporting on the right-hand side, the class seven, 1994 count, still is 142 vehicles because it's the sum of those below. So then this next step is when we start getting the data from the data collection service providers and from our own uh, data collection infrastructure in the roadside using the level four classification scheme, then we'll be able to see that data effectively become mapped right through. The future data collection gets imported straight into the future data format that's in the new system and the reports then allow you to proceed as per normal. So if we uh, move on to the next slide, this slide will quickly look at um, the pathway that's being opened up for alternative technologies. And this particularly became important for the class 20 um, active transport because not everything there has got axles and axle uh, detection classification won't work. So we wanted to make sure that the system supported methods that go beyond the loops, infrared beams, piezo and WIM, and also supporting Doppler radar methods. But 
the emerging technologies of ANPR, telematics, including cooperative ITS, video and AI, particularly for the non-road traveler, and then the LIDAR as well. So you'll see here some video examples of the LIDAR-based um, data collection. Uh, that's from a, a site in Yarraville that was done by uh, Victoria and TAC. And then up the top, there a sample from video and AI courtesy of OpenCV, um, where classification of um, of the active transport can be used uh, from using these methods. Uh, I'll refer you to the uh, the active transport webinar for more details. But if we do look at the alternative technology measurements with these different technologies coming through, what's important to recognise is that different sensors are collecting different data about each vehicle or object. And some data allows other data to be a drive from other external data sources. And so the key point here is that um, there's a growing need for us to identify what data we're actually wanting to collect and then choose the most appropriate data technology, collection technology, to, uh, to meet that particular need. And you can see quite a wide range of various attributes of each vehicle or object that can be stored and collected. And that's pointing to that data, data standard would be very beneficial for storing this. So let's look at, for example, the proposed ANPR trial. So in the diagram on the bottom right, you've got the, the vehicles there, a selection of vehicles, Showing at the bottom there with the purple, the collect axle tyre data, axle-based classification resulting in vehicles being allocated to one of the classes in the scheme. So the ANPR method is looking at the pathway that says we're going to collect the number plates and then um, we're going to cross-match that data through with the registration data that effectively tells us what's the make and model of that vehicle. Uh, through the number plate recognition and then use that as a pathway to classification. So you can see there how there are alternate pathways open to, to using the classification scheme. But it also opens up the pathway for future data collection sites to have multiple sensors. And this actually is going to make possible a much richer data set for collection and also validation of the scheme so that we can move uh, make the review of the scheme and the errors that have crept into the scheme much easier to resolve if we've got, for example, the vehicles that have been stored, that per vehicle data capture scheme and multiple um, data from multiple sensors so that you can actually get a ground truth of what's happening for the measures against, say, axle-based classification or some of these other things. And the availability of that data is one of the key recommendations going forward to make the update of this scheme uh, easier. So that's come brought out on this slide where we're basically saying the key to keeping the classification scheme current at a minimum is twofold. So we need to reduce the time and cost of identifying the required changes in the scheme. And that's where those features we've been talking about will be helpful but then also reducing the time of cost of then implementing those required changes to the scheme. And we believe we've established pathways in this that help make that easier in future. The key to this is the data collection standards to reduce the time and cost of identifying those future changes and that recommendation to collect, to create a standard to store all that data is, is fundamental to that. So say, for example, we end up with the data standard and you've got a lot of vehicles appearing in class 19, it allows us to identify where they need to go and what changes we need to do. But also, for example, where you're using AI to um, train a system to develop it, it gives the potential of creating a data training data set to help inform the AI training issue to improve the actual functionality of the AI. So that's another aspect of the um, of what we're uh, proposing here. So at this point, I'll uh, thank you for, uh, for listening to me and I'm going to hand over to Amy to provide some concluding remarks and uh, the way forward. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Drew. 
Uh, I'll just like to finish up this uh, great presentation with explaining the um, that the current this Austro 33 scheme, which Drew and Dave have been talking us through uh, today, has been approved by the Austroids board, so it is available as as um, Drew and Dave explained to implement now. And while it's the new standard, we do expect and understand that it will keep needing to be uh, reviewed and confirmed as we go forward to make sure that it continues to represent as best we can the, the changing um, vehicle fleet on Australian and New Zealand roads. I've got a few good questions here, but before beforehand, I'd like to just mention that we do, if you have um, haven't seen the scheme already, this is a really easy way to download both the the report, which explains all the background work that has gone into, into developing the scheme, and that's on the right-hand side, that QR code. Now on the left-hand side, we have the actual scheme itself as a guideline document. So both of those are free to download from the Austroids website, and please do take a look and, and read through them at your leisure. So what we've got, we've got a few questions online. So thank you very much, everybody who has provided a question for, for the team today. I'd like to start off with one which is, um, I think, quite a good question, uh, which was around the vehicle data signature. And someone's just has raised the question that we talked about in one of the slides in context of, of class 19. But will the vehicle data signature be of use for, for all all classes? And I think I'm not sure would that be Dave, that be the one for you to answer. Yes, absolutely. Um, it would be useful for all classes and particularly from the aspect of there's a lot of other niche needs that were, were appearing in the uh, in the classification scheme um, and in the feedback. Say for example, people who are interested in doing reports on diesel, petrol, LPG, electric and hybrid, which is one of the examples I've included in there. There's a lot of interest around what proportion of electric hybrids and others are on the fleet. We couldn't include an allocation of electric and hybrid in the base scheme, um, but it, that need can be met, for as an example, by using this unique the vehicle data signal data structure that allows you to actually create then queries that would look across all the classes and pick that out. So it's about enabling these sorts of other niche queries which aren't core to the current standard, but we recognise that they exist uh, to the need to address those kind of um, questions that are going to be asked of this data set. Thank you, Thank you Dave. Uh, we've also had a, a couple of questions here about where we set the threshold for class one vehicles, uh, which is which was where you talked, you actually talked to that in some detail about how the Ford Ranger wheelbase has, has changed in time over the years. I think it's slide 38. Um, but someone's asked the question, how are we considering other other pickup trucks and other? And they've, they've mentioned, for example, a Ram, which has an even even wider wheelbase. And I know that the team did do quite a bit of analysis of actual um, vehicle counts. I think in WA, if I'm right. I um, just wondered if if you could explain how that was um how the thresholds were set for this particular scheme all right in in the uh the process we we're looking at here was the main issue that got raised in the consultation was the um the the 3.2 to 3.3 meter and it was principally arising because of the number of sales of the ford range as you can see um they're up to 50,000. They are challenging the Hilux for the for the most uh, number of sales. And yes, we see in the question that some others refer to things like the Ram 2500 and and others. They're actually moving more towards the light truck kind of um, profile in in the system as well, more distinctly a light truck. And unless we're hearing from the um, from the collective group. As to or the sales of those start to increase to become a much more substantial uh, percentage of the fleet, then then the the need for that change in future, um, I would agree, would be an act to discuss that change would be an active issue to keep an eye on as to whether a change needs to be. But I think it'll depend on the emergence of these alternate pathways to pull those ones out of the data set, because once you start creating the axle spacing at 3.785 metres. If you use axle only, you're going to be putting a lot of light trucks in the short vehicle category. So it's about drawing the line where we minimise the error and then using alternate technologies where um, where that starts to not meet the needs on a pure axle only basis, axle basis only. Thank you. 
Yeah, if I can just add to that, it was a bit like how long's a piece of string. Um, there was all sorts of emerging dual cab options, like the RAM has, has been mentioned. And so we had to work that out based on at, at where we are in this point in time in terms of of vehicle sales. But you know that flexibility is something that that we were we spent a lot of time on to work out where do we where did we land on that on that threshold. Thanks, Drew. And I guess that might be a good point to respond to another question we've had here, which is um, given that we talking about ongoing transitions of the scheme, why publish it now? And I think the answer is um, we, we all recognise that we will need to continue to review the scheme because the, change, the vehicles, vehicles on the road network are always going to keep on changing. But what was identified and why this project has come about was that the 1994 scheme was deviating in quite a few ways from what was actually being seen on the network. And therefore, people were doing workarounds to better better classify the vehicles they were seeing. So this we, we believe that Austroads 23 makes a big step forward to being much more accurate in representation of the vehicles currently on Australasian road networks. But we wouldn't be so bold as to say it will always be you know the, the final answer and it will need to be reviewed probably not probably at shorter intervals than 1994 to now. Um, I'll just put a question here about um, Hmm. Question here, is there provision, I think this might be for you Drew, is there provision for vehicles with locked axles such as um, freewheeled axles not being used on a trailer? How would, how would the scheme counter, counter those? Um, that's a good question. I might defer to Dave on that. Um, yeah, that's, um, it did come up in the, in the course of it, of the, um, the analysis. Um, because the axle based is only measuring the axles that are currently being used as opposed to the axles that exist. And so it, it is a particular consideration that we have right now in the um in the the way the data is being used. It's collecting only the axles that are used. This is one of the would be one of the strengths or one of the weaknesses of the ANPR based system. For example, if you were classifying only using ANPR, you would get the the plate from the from the trailer, and it wouldn't tell you which axles are being used or from the vehicle. So this is where the need going forward may be to use combined technologies to um, to get the best overall result. But if we compare that with where we are today. Um, we're actually in a better position to be able to pick that apart going forward. I think I will add something to that. Um, there, there was, it, it's like how far do you go on granularity? Because there's always, in every jurisdiction, there are particular uh, uh, truck types. So an example that came up in that in that context was was the logging trucks in Tasmania. Who, uh, who will be counted when they're fully loaded as a particular type of truck, and then when they go back, they they whip the trailer back onto the, the back of the truck for an empty run back. And if they're counted, they'll come up at a different configuration and a different type of truck. So um, you know there were always those variations to the to the theme about how do we where do we where do we stop um, you know the granularity, I guess. Mm. I've got another question here, and again, I'm not really sure if it's Drew or Dave, but maybe both of you can answer this one. Um, with regard to the Class 12 combination options, many of them are single steer, tandem drive, prime movers. If there's a prime mover with either a twin steer or tri drive, does it go in the same bucket or a separate bucket? I'm not sure which slide we'd be talking to there, actually. That would be slide 40, maybe. No. Anyway, sorry, Drew or Dave, are you able to? I think it's Dave's slide. Right, just... Uh, what, 40, sorry. No. Yes, could just repeat the question for me, just so I'm... Um, regarding class 12, Yeah. there's lots of combination options, the different uh, single steer drive prime movers. If prime movers have either a twin steer or a tri drive, how do, they, do they go in the same bucket or separate? No, we've got them... Uh, We've we've got in class 12 there are 10 uh, particular um, types of, of vehicle that have been uh, called out. If we go to slide 34, actually. Yeah. Yeah. On that. <clears throat> yeah. 
so you can see there, there's the 10, and it's specifically, in this case, it's being, uh, level four is being done by axle configuration. So there are distinct um, axle configurations defined for each of those 10 classes that are below. The remainder of the vehicles will all land in class 1200. Now, this doesn't mean we've got no, that other needs can't be addressed in future. Future revisions of the scheme, because we've got room for up to 99 subclasses. Um, ideally, we don't want to go there because it could become quite unmanageable. It's about finding the balance here. But other critical classes that need to be picked out in there can go in there. And you'll notice some of those are twin, twin steer, some of those are single steer as you look at that configuration. Does it? Thank you, Dave. With regard to your slide, we talked about the um, different subclasses and the null counts. Maybe if we go to that one, I'm not sure what number that was. Sorry, but that's one for today. 43. Okay, um, we've got a question here saying, there is an example shown where only one subclass, which was 705, was null. Uh, yes. Is that possible? If the sum of seven classes has to add to, you must have a value for one. Well, that's probably... Yeah, just uh, press uh, space on that, um, Katarina, just to get the next bit. Yeah, so there was one there where it was not measured. There was a null in 703. So no. basically we're, we're saying that the implementation of the system needs to count, when it's doing the sum, needs to count a null as effectively a zero. But in the data, we're making that distinction between a zero where there's none identified and a null where we're unable to measure. Now that could be implemented in a different way where you've got a different attribute inside your database to say, not able to measure. Uh, this is just the distinction we're making here. So this becomes an, a specific implementation details to how each jurisdiction wants to store their data. We just need to make the distinction that in their requirements statement, they need to have a different way of storing unable to measure than a count of zero, where we, we can measure them, but we found none of them. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Look, we've got a couple of questions here about how the system relates to pavement design, and we do appreciate that the Austroads Guide to Pavements does um, refer to Austroads Money 4 in terms of um, calculating uh, pavement designs. So I'll just mention there's one question here which says the current classification system is divided into light and heavy vehicles and in pavement designs light vehicles are ignored. However, there are some class 2 vehicles which produce more pavement wear than some class 3 vehicles. And what's that? The question says what has been done to address this issue but I guess the question is more how do we um, understand better from the scheme? Okay. The only change that this scheme introduces is the correction of two errors to the existing processes. So it doesn't address any existing issues in the pavement design area other than providing potentially more information. But the changes that will will impact potentially, if you took a, a 1994 count and ran it through this system and produced a 2023 count, there's two error corrections that are going to take place. One is that class one versus class three boundary, where some vehicles may move from the light truck into the short, from class three into class one as a consequence. And then there's also the correction of the um, axle group spacing in the class nine to class 12, which could you give you a different result. But both of those are error corrections. As for the rest of it, unchanged in terms of the existing processes and methods. And it wasn't in the scope of the project to address how the data is used in pavement design. Moreover, that we provided backward compatibility so that we didn't impose any changes on the existing process. Yeah. Uh, if this project enables changes to take place by providing better information, uh, that would likely be a separate project for the pavement experts, of which I am definitely not one. Neither am I. Thank you, Dave. Um, I've got a question here about terminology um, and someone's raising the point that um, there's different um, references or names for different vehicle types, different, the way that our members approach different problems. And so this person is saying that will the various state manager agencies all be referring to common vehicle type, name, vehicle type names, references in their online tools? For example, RAV is a term used in WA but not other jurisdictions. 
Yes, in the actual report, you'll find the glossary there where we've attempted to uh, identify some of those things where we discovered more than one term used for the same type of vehicle elsewhere. This again is something that can be referred to the, um, the proof of concept team going forward to basically see if there's a pathway to resolution or whether it is addressed by having basically an ongoing glossary that's attached to the scheme so that um, the different terminologies used in different jurisdictions can be retained. Yeah, it became quite, quite hard to, it became, sorry Amy, it became quite okay. hard to actually determine that given that there were different, uh, different identifications from the various jurisdictions Hence the glossary at this point. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, Drew. And look, there's lots of questions coming through. I'm really going to run out of time to answer all of them, but maybe I might just jump to one about the toll roads. And this person's pointed out that toll roads might classify vehicles based um, the light lights, particularly light vehicles, based on their own charging regimes. And was there any consideration to how this would the new scheme would have, might affect um, the light commercial vehicle class used by toll toll roads? Um. Yeah, we did uh, get some information on the impact from that, but the the information that we got tended to indicate that um, that that uh, the classification of a vehicle under a tolling scheme was was determined at the point of issuing the tag, um, rather than as an ongoing exercise, and it was kind of a separate parallel where the two didn't interact as much and sometimes had different definitions and different thresholds. So while we looked at it, we uh, the purpose here were, were quite different and then as a consequence, different definitions. If there's some convergence in future or some use of this scheme which may impact there, that's another potential pathway forward for the scheme um, should it be necessary. But uh, we couldn't make changes in this scheme to meet that particular need on the way through. Yeah, yeah, agree with that. Nothing else. Thank you. Uh, I, just, I might just go through one more question before we round off, and it's a question about um, the recent federal government announcement that the overall width limit for, for trucks in Australia has increased from 2.5 to 2.55 metres. Um, and the person is asking, does this, does this is a scheme capable of adapting for this and also for treating super single tyres? So I think, is that a question for you, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've already got technologies out there uh, on the roads that can actively measure the um, the space between the tyres on a on a truck. That's the uh, the infrared um, data counter, and um, and other technologies via the ANP ANPR pathway may also store that. So again, this is yet another measurement that that flexible data standard for per vehicle usage um, should consider as part of that to be able to make sure we've got a flexible scheme that can store whatever measurement, whatever technology is able to get, even if that technology is matching the number plate and then importing the specifications for that make and model uh, into the into the data. Yeah, and just adding to that, it's quite important if we use uh, the emergence of, of electric electric vehicles and the weight with the same axle configurations that there will need to be some understanding of additional technology to measure those uh, and because of the, the impacts that will be on pavements. That's true. Well, thank you, Drew and Dave. I think we've, we've done, we've, thank you everybody online for providing some questions for us today. We, if we haven't answered your question, we will do our best. Uh, we will follow up afterwards with a written response. Um, and now I'm going to pass over to Katarina, who's going to talk through the upcoming opportunities to see more about the scheme and other interesting Austroids projects. Thank you, Katarina. Thanks so much, Amy, and thanks, Dave and Drew. I just have a couple of slides to finish the session. Um, so we have a few webinars coming up. Uh, this one was the first in a series of three. Uh, there will be two more. So if you haven't registered for those sessions, please go to our website and um, do that. In December, we will also have a session on the use of a driving simulator um, uh, to assess driver response to the North Connects 
tunnel uh, design features. So you can find all the information about that webinar on the Austroads website as well. Um, and the last thing, um, after we close out today's session, the questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Uh, please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about this session and um, what suggestions you have for future webinars. Uh, once again, today's webinar has been recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thanks all. Thank you.